You're listening to the best of the day. You're listening to Halford and Bruff. Jack Hughes, high slot, left circle across to Brat, one timer, he scores! Bad things can happen sometimes, things don't go your way, and uh, you're looking for fight from guys, and I saw that. Good morning, Vancouver 601 on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. It is Halford. It is Bruff. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming live from the Kintech Studios in rainy Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. A-Dog, good morning to you. Good morning. Laddie, good morning to you as well. Hello, hello. What a quintessential Vancouver morning. We're in here. It's pouring rain outside. The Canucks lost the hockey game. Everything is right with the world. Everything Mm -hmm. feels normal for an early February morning. We got a big show ahead on this February morning. Uh, Guest list begins at 6.30. Our good buddy Greg Wyshynski from ESPN. Uh, I just realized this morning driving in as I was putting together thoughts. For those, it was a pretty big, big night for that sort of try-New Jersey, New York teams. Oh, the Rangers yeah. got a big win yesterday. <laughs> the Devils got a big win yesterday. The Islanders got a big win in Bo Horvat's debut as an Islander. So we can talk to Wish about that as he joins us at 630. That was in Philly, though. Yeah, I just meant the teams, yeah. not the well, actual the, area. The two Although ga- those are close. The two games that occurred uh, across the river from yes. each other. Uh, the Fraser at, River. Uh, yep, that's that's correct. Yeah. Uh, at I believe No, actually, I believe it's the Mississippi. Yeah, uh, yeah. At Madison Square Garden and then at the Prudential Center, like two really good hockey games all at the same time. I was actually having trouble flipping back and forth. Uh, we'll join. Well, we, we will be joined by Greg Wyshynski at 630 to talk about all that. Seven o'clock, first time guest on the show. Uh, Bob Kravitz is going to join us on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Long time venerable sports journalist from the U.S., specifically out of Indiana and Indianapolis. Now, you might be wondering, why the hell are these guys talking to a sports journalist out of Indiana? Well, I remember a pretty interesting, and he described it, frightening incident from a Pacers-Grizzlies game in late January in which the NBA investigated Grizzlies star Ja Morant maybe allegedly to have pointed a gun with a laser scope at some of the Pacers players post-game following a chippy game in Indiana. Crazy stuff. But Bob. not John ja Morant himself. They don't know. It was John ja Morant's crew, which included his dad and his best buddy. And his best buddy was at the game and got ejected from the game for mm-hmm. jawing with the Pacers bench. Uh, there was an investigation that went on. We will talk to Bob Kravitz about that. I also want to talk to him about the Indianapolis Colts because he's been covering that team for an awfully long time. And it's covered, in part, the Ursay family because they, of course, the team was handed down from father to son, and they are in complete disarray. So we'll talk to Bob Kravitz about that at 7 o'clock. Very excited and interested to talk to Bob about all these different stories going on. Uh, then on a less interesting note, we'll be joined at 8 o'clock by Thomas Drance from the <laughs> Athletic Vancouver. Uh, he will join us to talk about last night's Canucks game, current state of the Canucks, all the stuff you know and love mm-hmm. from the Drancer. That's coming up at 8. So I've, I've heard that Drancer, um, I don't... I check in with his show every once in a while, but I've heard that he thinks the Canucks should rebuild. Uh... Can't confirm, don't <laughs> listen to the show, but it sounds like something he would say and write about. Yeah. We can ask him at 8 o'clock. No, we can't. Okay. Uh, 8, Drantz, 7, Kravitz, 6.30, Wish. Six uh, NHL games tonight. 
Uh, the only Canadian team in action is the Oilers. They're taking on Detroit. But uh, Bo Horvat and the New York Islanders are going to take on the Seattle Kraken in a very interesting game. Six NBA games. And Jason, this afternoon, that plucky underdog story known as Wrexham. Mm-hmm. Wrexham damn near killed him. Wrexham is going to play Sheffield United in an FA Cup replay this afternoon. And this one is not in Wales. No. This is at, uh, I don't even know the name of the stadium, to be honest. I don't have it at the tip of my tongue. They call it the Sheffy. The Sheffy. <laughs> is that what they call Adam Schefter? I don't. No, they it's call a, him Shefty. Yeah, Shefty. Shefty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so there's your day. In the world of sports, but before we look further ahead, we need to go back. We need to tell you what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. no. What happened? I missed all the action because I was. We know how busy your life can be. What happened? You missed that? What happened? Canucks lose. Canucks lose. Although it was entertaining and they got a point. And the point doesn't matter, but I digress. Jesper Bratt scored a power play goal. With 42 seconds off, a power play goal against the Canucks in this economy? Surely you jest. 42 seconds were left when it was scored. Uh, The Devils had a three-goal lead, blew a three-goal lead, and came back to win anyway. 2-1 in a very, or sorry, 5-4 in a very entertaining affair at the Prudential Center on Monday night. So this is kind of how it all went. Uh, Things were going pretty well for the Canucks. Uh, Andy was happy because Kuzmenko scored a really nice goal. Um, their first period, aside from a couple of breakdowns that led to one of them, which led to a Jack Hughes goal, they played well. They, they went into and played this New Jersey team that we had been talking up the whole day as um, one of the best teams in the NHL and not only one of the best teams in the NHL, but currently in great form. Mm-hmm. The Canucks played legitimately well. I was sitting there going like, wow, they're they're." Not only are they back-checking, oftentimes they don't even have to back-check because they're in the right position. Yeah. Which kind of helps Just sometimes. regular checking. There weren't those there weren't those massive seams being opened by uh, the opponent's offense against the Vancouver Canucks. Everything was going pretty well uh, until it wasn't. With the score tied one all halfway through the second, the Devils scored three goals in 50 seconds. It was a lot. Three goals in 50 seconds to take a 4-1 lead. That's uh, bad, right? That was Wasn't That's good. bad. Yeah, it was a familiar scene for a Canucks team that's done that a lot this season. And what is that? Well, it's surrendering multiple goals in quick fashion. Uh, Boudreaux, Bruce Boudreaux, often lamented it. He said, you know, like, sometimes we just, we just lose it. Mm-hmm. Composure, and composure goes out the window. There was nothing Bruce could do about it, and now it's Rick Tockett's problem. Um, the Canucks, I don't know, they just seem to collectively panic in this in those moments. Everyone starts running around. Nobody can make a breakout pass. Rick Tockett's yesterday said like our <laughs> our sticks got soft. Yep. And I was like, it's true. Oh, they well, that's pretty what was, funny. What was that? They weren't hard enough. Oh, okay. It's like everyone has the yips all at once. Yeah. I would put it. Um, and by the way, the crowd in Newark is great. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think I've heard a New Jersey crowd like that. I don't, not not in the regular season like that. And I actually texted Wish, and we're going to have him on. This is a. I should digress, but I texted Wish. And I was like, the crowd is great, like in New Jersey. And he said, yeah, it's a completely different vibe now. So we can talk to Wish about that. Sure. At any rate. Um, the Canucks fell down 4-1, and most of us thought, okay, well, you know, this is going to be another Seattle scene, right? They, the Canucks under Rick Tockett have beaten two pretty bad teams handily, but 
once they went on the road to Seattle, Seattle handled them and it looked like it was happening in Newark. But credit to the Canucks because it wasn't another Seattle situation. Mm -hmm. They battled back with three goals of their own. They just spread them out a little more. Uh, The tying goal by DiGiuseppe was started by a terrific pass by JT Miller. Long bomb pass to DiGiuseppe who went in on a two-on-one and wisely chose to shot the puck. The Devils did win it in overtime, but aside from the collapse, I would say the Canucks actually played pretty well. So basically, if the Canucks could just solve this collapsing problem, (laughs) they might be okay. It's like the building industry. Once you can solve the collapsing issue, you can have a pretty solid structure and building. But here's the thing. Uh, You can't really say, wow, we played a great game except for those 50 seconds where we completely imploded. Because that's part of the game. Yeah, I get. Now, here's the other part of this. At this stage of the game, uh, last night's performance result, uh, all of it is was fine for the Canucks. I mean, if you're a, if you're a tank person, you're a little upset that they they wedged out a single point from that. But there were enough positives to take from the game. Uh, it was an, a very very entertaining affair. I think that has a lot to do with the Devils that they will push the pace on you. And they're the type of team that, as we saw, can score a lot of goals in short order, but can also concede a lot of goals as well. And it was all good. There were a lot of good individual performances um, in a different time, in a different universe, in a galaxy far, far away. Uh, when the games mattered for the Canucks, we would have been upset about the officiating, or at least we would have mentioned it probably earlier. But it was just kind of like, okay. Yeah, the, the Miller penalty or not penalty in overtime. I mean, you went back and looked at it, Andy. You went back and looked just, at it. I think he just fell. Yeah, in the right. in the immediate I moment, fell. I was like, oh, he should have called that. But yeah, I agree with Bruff when I was looking yeah. back, and I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. he, like, he just stumbled. The only thing I'll say is that um, certain players of a certain um, reputation around the National Hockey League would get the benefit of the doubt on that call. Well, that JT, they would get but, it. Superstar but, calls. But JT doesn't have a diving reputation. No, I think he, he just, just didn't get the call. Yeah, but I, it, I mean, it, the Kuzmenko hook was a hook. That was a that, that, that was I the hookiest ap- hook of all. Hooks. I do appreciate that he tried to let go of his stick. He's like, "It's not mine." Yeah, and, but that didn't. <laughs> It did not work. That doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. I tried to let go. It didn't work. And then the referee picks it up. He's like, it has your name and number on this stick. So the other Kuzmenko. No English. Yeah. That that guy over there, his name's Kuzmenko. So that was tough. But again, it doesn't really matter. Like the Don Barlumber text message in basket. It doesn't really have anything pertaining to how uh, terrible the officiating was. This So this season, as we all know, is about grading out some of these individual performances. So. Uh, there was a few guys that I think deserve mention. We can get into those right now. Um, uh, not, well, Kuzmenko was good. The goal was great. Pod Colson, we got to talk about. Beauvillier, who, of course, made his Canucks debut. Karna Garland had a pair of assists. Uh, I think we should probably start with Pod Colson because this is one of those guys who, in this, let's be honest, meaningless second half of the season, has a lot of meaning. And has a lot of purpose. Mm They've been a tough year for him on an individual basis. He gets dinged back to the American League. Very clearly was struggling at the NHL level. And I don't mean getting caved in. But if you listen to enough people, including Tockett, speak about what the problem was, he was just playing almost terrified hockey. Like, it was, okay, uh, we're losing like crazy. There's stress coming into the rink every day. JT Miller's yelling at everybody, like, I can't make a mistake. I can't make a mistake. And they don't want him to play like that. So he gets... Mm -hmm. Booted back to Abbotsford, starts to regain some of his confidence, and he was good last night. I really, thought. really good. Yeah, played like a power forward. 
Right. Like that that's the thing. He's a big, strong guy. And he ended up with uh, three shots on goal and four hits. The Canucks were very physical yesterday, actually, and and Pot Colson was physical. See the heat, the hit Pedersen lay. Yep, laid on. Uh, I can't, I can't remember who the Siegenthaler might have been. Uh, the New Jersey defenseman like mm-hmm. just knocked him right down. So that was impressive. But Pot Colson, yeah, very encouraging for him. Um, I think. Here's the thing, right? Like he's just got to keep playing. Like he's got to do it again, right? Because <laughs> it's easy—not not easy, but it's easier to get psyched up for your first game back in the NHL and show the new coach who you are, right? Exactly. But you just got to keep doing it. I, I'm I I think Pod Colson is going to be like I am very confident that he's going to be a good NHL player for the Canucks. Yeah, with Hoaglander, I'm a little less certain like I don't know what he could be I wouldn't be surprised if he turned into a decent player but I also wouldn't be surprised if he if he didn't with Pod Colson I would be very surprised if he didn't turn into that because I just think he's I think he wants it and you can tell by the way he plays I think he's smart I think there's a few things he has to work on but I also think he's more than willing to work on those things well I'll tell you who sounds like a fan and that's Rick Tockett so I know it's a small sample size but Tockett spoke before the game about what he hopes to see out of Pod Colson now that they're back out of the break and he's back up with the parent club. And then afterwards in a game in which he mentioned three shots on goal, four hits, he looked like a player. Uh, here's Canucks head coach Rick Tockett on the recently recalled Vasily Pod Colson. I like that kid. You know, it's our job is to even develop more. He's a, he's a, you know, he's a, he's a bull out there. You know, he's a, he's a give and go. At the end there, he uh, he won a battle. He, he knocked the guy over and kept that puck uh, to get it out. That's a big play. So, yeah, I like this kid a lot. You know, we got to keep working with this kid. Do you have the, we have a bull drop? I feel like. We have it, a bull. There it is. It makes me sad because that was Bo's drop, but it's it's Vasily Pod Colson's drop. Talking the, likes the animal references, the elephant now, moose, yeah, bull. Yeah. Goes around the gamut. He's, At least the bull doesn't get eaten. It's true. <laughs> the elephant gets eaten slowly. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Progress. But, but so yeah, if you get rid of a bull, you have to replace him with a new bull. Those are just the how rules. much of that elephant do you think uh, is 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 left? Well, I, lot, we talked about it the other There's day. They lot, could sustain right? you for a long time. I think we googled it, like something like a year. Are people uh, <laughs> is that but, a we? I don't recall googling. How long can you sustain on elephant? Some people are texting in and saying that. Um, okay, here's a text. What? Okay, people should calm down with crediting the coach for his new system. His team has done this already this year against Colorado and a couple other teams. Um, whatever. Uh, they played that a good game, but this is more to do with New Jersey thinking it's going to be an easy game. Are people crediting Tockett already with, uh, I don't even know with what, turning? I don't even know the genesis of this text, where this is coming from. Uh, well, there is a few texts um, that are coming in. It says, it feels like the Boudreaux era was like management said, seeing how the Canucks have changed in a short time. I, I don't recall saying that either. This is very bizarre. Like, no, no, no. Th- this is not you. They're not talking. Take yourself are, out of are it. Are there for people on the streets talking this way? People on the streets the are, streets are, are talking are talking about how, uh, God, not everything has to be about you. Yeah, I don't recall ever saying that. Well, just, te- they are texting into our radio show. I feel like it would be a reflection of something we said. Um, I, think there, I think there are people that look at the way they defended, even in their first game, under Rick Tockett, 
Uh, not so much the Seattle game, but then so they, overall, would you say three out of four good performances under Rick Tockett? Yeah, I don't think that they're fundamentally different than they were under Boudreaux, but there's definitely significant changes. But I mean, that three goal collapse looked Boudreaux. I was going to say that. Right? I was going to say, I'm like, but, yeah, three but goal they came collapse. Back. They came back. It's well, like, they came back a bunch of times under Boudreaux too. Don't but they're back them. checking now. Okay. If you, it's like you know when you quit smoking, but every, you, know, you have a little bit of slip up, and you got to run outside real quick and bang down three darts in fifty seconds just to get that feeling again. That's sure. kind of like what that that was mm-hmm. against the Devils, right? It's like they just got back to the. It was a shorter period of time. I think they just there got is a, their old ways. I think there is a different feel to them, but I might be projecting that because there is a new coach, so I'm looking for new things. But I think there is a. Uh, it, it looks like there's. Just more of an adherent adherence to playing defense, right? Like there seems to be, they're just more together. Like some of the breakdowns that they had under Boudreaux were just so shocking and so glaring that you were just sitting there going, "Like, what are you guys being told?" Well, Sat and Bick, anything? Sat and Bick on the post game show, and actually during because I was listening on the radio yesterday during, during the broadcast. Uh, at the intermissions, they were saying it's very obvious that there are some. Uh, implemented and understood things that the Canucks are doing under Tockett that they're actually doing and having success yeah. with. They pointed to a couple breakouts where it's like, it's the breakout is, here's option A, here's option B, here's option C. You get three options. right? And then the, one, one of the options is not give the puck to the other team and watch mm-hmm. them go in and score. And they said, it, you know, quick implementation over the course of three games. And that's what Tockett... Um, really was trying to hammer home with predictability yeah. is it's not predictable where the op- opponent knows everything you're going to do. It's predictability where your teammates know what you're going to do. So tones texts in, he says it's simply called playing team defense and supporting. And another text guys, we played a system last night. Anyone who says otherwise has never, has never laced a pair of skates. There is definitely system plan. In the I did notice sure. like the Canucks were in the first period. Yeah, there were a couple breakdowns, but that happens against New Jersey. New Jersey had their own breakdowns against the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, man, Jack Hughes is a good player. Yes, but, very good. Um, they did just look like they were in the right position at times. Remember Claude Julian always had his layers thing? Like there were layers to the Canucks yeah. defense. The, the, I guess the only thing that I'm trying to say here is that... But it's going to take time. But it, it looked different. It felt different. Mm-hmm. And yet they still lost and conceded five goals. Well, if you're looking at... Let's look at this collapse, so. okay? The, the three, <laughs> let's look at the three-goal collapse. For me, um, the issue is personnel. That's a personnel issue. I agree. You had uh, especially the second and third of the three goals. They couldn't get the puck out. And that I don't know if that was a system thing. Like Tyler Myers had it on his stick, and he yipped it. That's he a personnel yipped, thing. Like That's a yipped, Myers play. He yipped it right to uh, the other team. And the third goal was similar, right? They just they had they had opportunities to get the puck out, and they didn't do it. Uh, you know, we'll probably talk to Drance today, and he'll probably mention the Canucks of Canucks lack of puck moving ability, and and that needs to change. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how they're going to fix that. You get quickly. JT Miller to go back and do all the breakout passes. That's the key. I don't <laughs> think you should ever coach. <laughs> ever. You uh, bring let's... your center back and then you wheel and away you go. Hey, we're going to talk to Wish at uh, 630. So I do want to quickly mention the other game that was happening during the Devils Canucks game. Did you cheat on the Canucks Devils game with the Rangers Flames game? Uh, that's not cheating. That was just 
wow, this seems to be an amazing game based on Twitter. Sounds I'm like gonna, something a cheater would say. I'm going to flip over to that game because uh, Rangers-Flames was incredible. It had everything that I love in hockey. Mm-hmm. It had good hockey. It had big hits. It had emotion. It had some fights. It had a great crowd. Great Madison, yeah. Madison Square Garden. And had a terrific finish. Do with, you want to hear the call of the winner? Yes, with, I, I do want to hear it. With the Rangers uh, winning it in overtime. And here comes Lafreniere. Zadorov gets back. Lafreniere, the pass. Save, Markstrom. Lafreniere, scores! There is a roar at Madison Square Garden that every big-time hockey fan should experience in person. I did. Yeah. Several years back, it blew my mind. Very cavernous. It's a, it's a, it's a bucket list arena, it's and awesome. people always say, like, if there's one arena to go experience in the NHL, if they, if they ask me what which one it is, I say Madison Square Garden. Go experience the energy there. Mike, you and I were lucky enough to see a Stanley Cup final there um, between the Rangers and, and, and the Kings. And, you know, like, I, I there's just something about that New York crowd that gives energy to not only the players on the ice and the people in the arena, but frankly, the people watching on TV. And last night with the hits, two from Truba, one from Sammy Blay. Yep. <laughs> uh, and the fights, the Flames sticking up for their teammates, uh, going at Truba. Um, poor Sammy Blay must have been like, please get me off the ice. Milan Lucic is going to hurt me. Yeah, I just clipped him in the head. I need to get off. I mean, that was awesome hockey. That's everything that hockey should be. And I don't want to beat up on the All-Star game again. But that's what we love about hockey. Sure. Right? You have to have the intensity. You have to have the competition. Yeah, the All-Star game's fine and if, if you like that sort of thing. Right? But... You know, that's that's probably why 99% of people fell in love with hockey. Games like last night between the Flames and the Rangers. You see the tempo and the pace that they played with. Do you think mm-hmm. it had something to do with the rest that they received the week leading up? Is this a case for maybe a, a schedule that has fewer games, a little more spaced out? We might see more games with this kind of energy? It's funny. They Both coaches were asked about that. Oddly enough, there wasn't a lot of talk about Truba after this game. I poured through post-game audio. And there was nothing really sort of incendiary or inflammatory. God, half the Flames guys in the post that I was watching didn't even get asked about Truba. That was an insane hit. It was both of so them were, good. So it it, like, both perfect. of them were great, but the one on Kadri was incredible. Oh, it was pro- like a perfect hit. But that was a retribution hit because Kadri tagged him in the first period. Mm-hmm. And Sutter mentioned that in his post. He's like, oh, Kadri got him in the first. And then it was, <laughs> he just kind of acknowledged yeah, it, was, it was a good hit here and a good hit there. The only really interesting audio was Gerard Gallant, and we can play it real quick, talking about the need for Truba to have to fight after every hit because both were clean, Yeah, right? And it's kind of like, well, what, what are we exactly are we doing here? So again, the, really the only interesting takeaway from all the audio after this crazy game that everyone was calling game of the year last night, here's Rangers head coach Gerard Gallant on the need to respond after the Truba hits. It's a shame you have to do that every time you throw a hit, but I mean, you know, the... For me, the first hit was a good, clean hockey hit, and it wasn't a dangerous hit, and you know, you wouldn't think there'd be a retaliation for that, but there wasn't, and that's fine. But the second one, I mean, he hit Cadre pretty hard, and it was a, you know, looked like Cadre might have got hurt. And I understand guys standing up for their teammates; it's all the time. But I just think sometimes it gets a little overreaction sometimes, and you know, 
I mean, Truber's a big hitter, and people know that, but the first one, I thought, uh, was a little overreaction for me. So I have a couple of thoughts on this. Yeah. First of all, I have changed my mind on this. I used to hate the fight after the big hit. Uh, but now I'm kind of like, man, a regular season game, you know, that's your teammate. If you want to go fight the other guy, go fight him, right? At the same time, call the instigator every time. Mm-hmm. Call the instigator every time because you should not be punished for throwing a big hit. And you should be punished for instigating. Yeah. Makes sense. And, 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 and that's what happened and, yesterday. And also, way. if the hitter doesn't want to drop the gloves – like, if he goes, like, I'm not fighting you, that's not a cowardly move. That's just him wanting to stay in the game. Mm-hmm. Right? Hey, like I'm that, with that, you. But, but, but my, my, the, the where I've changed is, like, guys, when you're out there, your only obligation is to your teammates. Right? If someone gets hit, even if it's clean and you don't like it, and you want to challenge the other guy to a fight and go up to him and drop your gloves – because you think your teammate will appreciate that. If it's something that you think your teammate will appreciate, that's your teammate. Yep. Go do it. Yeah. It's Wolfpack per 60. Yeah. Really? I, I, I really don't have any problem with it. Now, I'd have a problem with it if it was in a massive playoff game and they do call the instigator. I mean, that's just dumb, right? Then then I don't think – but then I don't think your teammate would want that. No. Right? Your teammate wouldn't want – uh, you to put your team shorthanded in that situation. Mm-hmm. But it's all about your teammate, and that should be your obligation. The other part of all of this is that Truba is the most dangerous guy in hockey right now. Can we confirm? Can be confirmed? Most dangerous hitter in hockey. It's, I don't even think it's particularly close. Tom Wilson's hurt. He's but, the only other guy. But it's awesome. Oh, it's- it, it is terrific. It is terrific for hockey mm-hmm. that there's a guy in the NHL that hits like this. and Because we need more villains in the NHL. And also, players got to remember, this is still hockey, so maybe don't cut back on every defenseman. Yeah. Because you might get dropped. This is the best of Halford and Bruff. Download the full show through Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the best of the day. I say you the best. Halford. And Bruff. Sportsnet 650's very own, the Athletics' very own, Thomas Drancer on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. What up, Drancer? It was a fun game. Yes, it was. It was awesome. It was, uh, it was much needed, to be totally honest with you, gentlemen. You know, I was sort of putting it on and being like, okay, here we go again. 33 more. Let's do it. And then pretty quickly, uh, the Canucks, first of all, started really well. And uh, look, the speed of the Devils is really something to watch and the Canucks for the most part matched their pace even though the Devils created a lot off the rush especially in the first 30 minutes of the game I thought um yeah no really entertaining and uh, and a really good performance from uh, from the Canucks like I even liked how they adjusted mid-game they stopped getting punished on just like high flips past their defense as the game went yeah. along and I thought that third period was one of the best 20 minutes they've strung together all season do they look any different to you structurally under Rick Tockett? It's too early. Not, not, not really. I think what, where they look a little different is, uh, is how they're lining up, right? And, you know, one thing that I think I sort of took away a little bit from last night, and maybe this is a little much, but, you know, I, I thought a lot about, 
you know, Pod Colson's game and how assertive he was as a puck carrier, how much space he was able to create. Uh, Dakota Joshua, I thought, had a pretty strong game, especially when it came to, um, you know, his play along the wall and, and especially his play along the wall, like high in the defensive zone, um, just making sure to win those battles and clear the puck. And the Devils, you know, their, their forecheck played regularly l- last night. Like there were a lot of moments where the Canucks, maybe they didn't completely flub the pass, but the Devils interfered with it enough that they were able to retain possession just inside the blue line. I thought Joshua sort of stood out as a guy who every time he got it, it was getting out. And that did sort of make me wonder if you can understand why Timo Meyer to the Devils has so much steam <laughs> in the rumor mill, right? Mm-hmm. Like a- an extra heavy body on the wall uh, certainly would seem to be what the doctor ordered for that Devils team, particularly in a world where, you know, Joshua and Pod Colson look like that against them. Were a couple of the goals the Canucks surrendered um, during that three-goal collapse pretty much great evidence for why this blue line needs to be made over um, with better puck movers? Yep. <laughs> yep. Um, I think so. Uh, like, I don't I don't think that's a hot take. Um, I also thought the Heischer line just dominated, right? I mean a lot of that game, especially in the first 40 minutes for me, felt like a matter of time. Like, it wasn't until the third period where uh, I, I, you know, the Canucks really felt felt like they were containing the Devils, like they had a, a really solid plan to limit, you know, what, what the Devils generated against the Russian. I, I don't know what happened there. Maybe the Devils stopped looking for the home run pass. Maybe it was them getting undisciplined. Maybe the Canucks saw something and made the adjustment, in which case, you know, tip of the cap to to talk it in his staff but um but you know the first 40 minutes it, it felt like the dam was going to break at some point um you know even when vancouver was building the early lead like the devils were generating these sort of looks against the grain where it was just like uh, you know a centimeter away from being three consecutive passes and a, and a glorious scoring chance and it, it just wasn't quite working for them finally it obviously did with the jack hughes one um, I just felt like he sure Pilat, Brat overwhelmed the Canucks. And when they finally got two goals in, what, 13 seconds, mm-hmm. it was sort of very much them being rewarded for a, a, an edge in the run of play that they'd sort of built all, all game. You know, it, like it, at some point, something like that was going to happen. In fact, at some point, something like that was going to happen twice. It's just that it happened right away back to back and and that sort of changed the way you felt about it. Drancer, how do you think this Brock Besser situation is going to play out? Is he more likely to move at the trade deadline or in the off season? Well, I, look, it's it's so hard to move money. I mean, you think about Bo Horvat being the scorer in the NHL and that trade ends up being cap neutral <laughs> this season because the Canucks retain and take back Beauvillier. Um, you know, I, I think I'm pretty sure if you look through the trades that we've seen in the NHL this season, the Canucks have been involved in the three biggest in terms of like dollars moving this year. Um, you know, Dickinson, Stillman, uh, Bear, and then Horvat with Beauvillier coming back and, and all the other futures Vancouver got. Um, you know, the net sort of like cap space changing hands in those deals is like 1.4 million, (laughs) uh, 1.8 million and zero, right? It's just like, it's 
the, to this point, the market has been so gummed up yeah. that it's hard to see them finding a way to move 6.66 million. And, and I'm saying that about the team that pretty clearly has been better at moving money in this environment than anyone else. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you, one thing you'd, you'd have to say is for as, um, you know, and, and I guess the Horvat cha- trade changes it a bit, but it's not like the Canucks have been like, um, you know, coming in uh, swashbuckling and, and making a ton of trades, right? Like this hasn't been, a, a retro Jim Rutherford Trader Jim season, and yet relative to the rest of the league, it kind of has. So in that environment, it's it's hard to imagine that they'll be able to move six point six six here in season before the deadline. Although you know, one thing that does give them a better chance is the ability to put McKayev and Pearson on um, LTI. Uh, especially if they're willing to take back some money, uh, some non-expiring money in the deal, um, one one assumes that would give them a shot at it. Uh, right. So I'm not saying no, but would I be fading it? Like, yeah, I'd probably be handicapping it at something like, you know, minus 130, no trade, plus 150 trade, right? Like, I, I think it's narrowly more likely that um, it's just too hard to move 6.66 in season this year. Drancer, I want to put you, you to put your team PR hat on right now. Um, if you were running PR for the Canucks, would you try and address this Jim Rutherford speculation that's been kicked off by Steve Simmons, who wrote on Sunday that more than one hockey person he ran into this weekend in Florida at the All-Star game believes Jim Rutherford wants out as president of the Vancouver Canucks? Yeah, I mean... Would you say that it was kicked off by Steve Simmons, or would you say that it was kicked off by Seth Rohrbaugh's column when the Canucks visited Pittsburgh, what, three, four weeks ago now? Right. Yeah, that might have been the original. You know, well, I, And also, the you know, struggles of the hockey team. Right. And um, so, so, yeah, I, I think so. I think you want to, like, you know, my my view of it is there are, like there are punches you can't take, you know, there, like there's uh glass jaw stories that meaningfully hurt you. And I generally think the, the problem with those stories is that everyone remembers the first version and you can sort of push back, but for the most part, like only the most hardcore people following your team will, will even learn about the pushback, right? Like everyone just remembers the first impression that they had. So it's, it's kind of tough. You're kind of damned if you do anyway, but I do think when it's, when it comes to like the key sort of things that you want to be able to have credibility with, right. Which is, you know, for me anyway, if I'm, if I'm analyzing the Canucks on that, it's like ownership will keep the team in your location, right? Like teams not relocating is like number one, right? Um, Hockey operations leadership has a plan that you can trust is number two. And, you know, they're committed to it. Like, so, I mean, to me, it's like that high level of, you know, sort of a reputational factor. And as such, yeah, I mean, I, I think you, I think that's probably worth, you know, not Streisand effect addressing. Like, I don't think you want to leave um, 
I don't think you want like a, a bunch of Rutherford quotes being like, I'll be here forever. Right. Like right. <laughs> I'm coming to you from my boat to live forever. Yeah. And yeah. I'm going to, you know, but, but I think, I think making sure that making sure that an insider, um, you know, reports like, Hey, this isn't being considered. And blah, 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 blah. right. Like I think something like that does make sense to, to plant uh, for the team, given just sort of the importance of Rutherford's role, the fact that, the club has invested so much of this uh, relaunch, um, you know, like so they've tied so much of it to his experience and his record and his reputation. And I don't know that there's anyone else in the hockey operations department who has the sort of tenure, longevity, brand, um, you know, awareness to replace that, right? Like, the, I mean, doesn't the Rutherford experiment kind of fall apart without him? Like it kind of feels that way, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, he's he's yeah. handpicked his front office, and there is a lack of experience there without him. A critical one, right? Like, so, yeah. I mean, I, to me, anyway, yeah. I think that's something something you want you'd want to get out there for at least the hardcores to feel confident about at the very least. Yeah. I think that's something you'd probably try and subtly address. Uh, at least that's, that would be my view of it. We're speaking to Thomas Drance from the athletic and of course, Sportsnet 650 Drancer speaking of reporting and insiders and sourcing. I got something for you. Emily Kaplan of ESPN has just put up a piece uh, live on the site where she gets into a bunch of trade deadline rumblings. I'm just going to read verbatim from her column. There has been a lot of speculation about Canucks goalie Thatcher Demko ahead of the trade deadline. Per sources, at least four, count them, four teams have called Vancouver asking about Demko's availability, and the Canucks haven't said no to any of those teams. Thoughts? Well, I haven't said yes. <laughs> no, um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Clearly, uh, clearly Kaplan's reporting suggests and matches with what you know, I think Elliot Friedman and, and Rick Dollywall have been implying here, which is that, you know, the, the Canucks certainly aren't hanging up that phone, right? That this is more complicated than certainly it would have seemed a year ago when Demko was performing at a, an outrageous level. Um, you know, for me, more than anything, the Demko thing, like the logic of this team limping into the playoffs Next year, but I mean, it was like it was the same logic going into this year too. Is well, they have an elite goaltender. I mean, you think about Rutherford's commentary when he first showed up. We have a franchise goalie, and besides that, you know, like he, it took a while for Elias Pettersson to get the sort of praise that now we we hear from regularly around the club, right? Um, so. Demko was kind of on an island in terms of how central to this club's plans he appeared 18 months ago. So to be here now is is pretty amazing. And, I, I mean, more than anything, the thing I'm looking for on, on Demko is I just think it's a massive tell. Like, I think if Demko goes, that's as, you know, thorough an admission as you're ever going to get from this organization that the route back to contention might be longer than you know, this hockey operations group had originally planned for when they came in. It's just a really interesting dynamic because, I mean, I've seen lots of pushback, visceral, that suggesting that this is just another, you know, media creation and no one's ever had a sense of what's going on inside that room and they never will. And all you insiders and media folks didn't get any of these other stories. So why do you think you got something here? 
Uh, it's an interesting dynamic, and this one in particular with Demko, <laughs> definitely. What, like, what's the what's what's ever been the rumbling that then didn't more or less come to pass? I don't know. I mean, I look. I understand. I I understand how the quote unquote the game is played media wise. I also understand why there's a lot of fans that just get frustrated with the endless speculation because they assume that our end goal is to drive everyone out of town. And I'm like, okay, you know, you're if, if that's if that as far as critical thinking takes you, so be it. Whatever. How like, can I we don't pick care. apart this Stanley Cup winning team? Yeah, and then we go all, down this all road. Aboard, and, all yeah. aboard Drancer shuttle to the airport. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> it's the Drance. It's the park and fly, but Drance is there with a hat on. Anyway, it was Drance the one that said uh, the team needed major surgery. Don't forget. But it's but it's also it's right. it's not it's not fair to like just ignore the fact that there's a lot of that out there, and it is what it is. Yeah. I just I appreciate. And respect its existence, if that makes sense. Anyway, um, there is this entire Demco situation. And what Bruff and I kind of kept coming back to is, look, if you're talking about tradable assets that are going to get you something in return, maybe not necessarily to the point of Bo Horvat, but things that you're going to trade where you're not like, we have to retain 50% of it, or we'll have to throw in a sweetener, like real bona fide assets to trade, Demco might be it. And you, if you look at it in just plain... Logical facts. It makes sense that teams would be calling, and then the Canucks would say, "Okay, we're not saying no right now because everything should be on the table." We've said that countless times. Yeah. I, so, yes, in the in the within that school of, hey, he should be dealt because he's valuable, right? Demko would certainly qualify uh, uh, in that cupboard, and yet, like, man, would his value be? diminished relative to where it was eight months ago right like at the draft uh, you know in montreal for example this past summer like <laughs> if temco had been available you would have had um teams rushing uh in that goalie market right like think about think about the prices that teams were paying for like cam talbot right? and uh and um alexander georgiev got multiple draft picks he's a career sub 900 goalie right like in that environment that would have been incredible. Now, I still think Demko would have huge value because the contract's attractive, right? He's now paid as like a below average starter. Exactly, yeah. And, you know, he's not that. Uh, he, he's certainly, like, I don't know if he's one of the three goalies that matter. I have this theory that basically only three goalies ever matter and everyone else is, um, you know, then there's like good goalies and, and, and on and on. But for the most part, like the last year's best goalie can be this year's GOAT. Well, goalies matter if they're bad, too. Goalies, No, but goalies matter if they're bad, and yeah. they matter if they're good. Yeah. It's just that you can't reliably tell which is which season to season. Who are the three, unless, by the way? Who are the three? the three? Who are the three? Who are the three? Uh, the three Russians on the East Coast. Ah, so Sorokin, yeah. Shosturkin, Vasilevsky. Yeah. I mean, and, and honestly, like going into the season, I would have told you like the third spot's up for debate. It might be Demko. Mm -hmm. It might be, you know, any other guy. Halibut. But I mean, just look at like... Demko's a perfect example where last year he was, you know, a fringe Vesna candidate. Um, and frankly, I think should have been a Vesna candidate. Like I, I, he would have been one of my nominees based on his performance last season. I think he, he was, you know, not, not just Starkin who had a historic season, but probably the second best regular season goalie in the, in the league last year. And then this year, you know, he's injured. Sure. But also he was not himself at all in the first part part of the year and, and you sort of flip it with like Connor Hellebuck who, you know, I, I, I mean, no question for me, both Demko and Hellebuck are like the 10 guys who, if you're betting on a goalie to be 
drag us to the playoff caliber any given season. Like those two are top 10 guys that you'd place a bet on in my view, but like Hellebuck wasn't good last year. And then this year has been tremendous, right? Like outrageous. And and that just sort of speaks to the volatility of the position. Uh, I think it's why you're seeing teams like Colorado, like Carolina, be pretty comfortable trading these as fungible assets. And for all of that, you know, the we've seen the prices of goaltenders just swell. Like we now live in a world where the average backup makes more than two million and where the average starter makes more than five and a half, right? I mean, it's, it's true um, inflation in between the pipes in the NHL. To answer and one so, final, Oh, sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, so he'd have value just because of that. And because he'd be viewed as a good bet. Um, we'll see. Like, we'll see. Uh, to me, that one just tips the club's hands more than anything else they've done, right? Like, we haven't seen the team really make, like, a proactive rebuilding move. Horvat, at the end of the day, is still an expiring contract, right? Like, it's a little bit different, especially in a world where they also extended Kuzmenko and Miller. Trading Demko now, to me, would really signal hey, we're, we're going we're gonna to need to take some time here. And, and that, for that reason alone, I'm not ready to um, accept that it's a probability ahead of the deadline. Drancer, was the offer for Bo Horvat just too good to refuse uh, with the New York Islanders? We had just wondered if he might, you know, he's so close to unrestricted free agency. We wondered if he might just look around a little bit. Well, see, I don't think it was like, do you think if you're Pierre-Luc Dubois, who's an RFA this summer, that the Horvat contract makes you consider, or, or, or you're Dylan Larkin, do you think the Horvat contract makes you consider the market any differently than you did a, you know, the day before it was signed? Like, I don't think so. I don't think it was a market detonating deal by any means. I mean, you know, if you go look at what we were writing in The Athletic going into this season, so before Horvat went nuclear as a goal scorer, we were saying, you know, high sevens could eclipse eight, um, you know, based on based on the hurdle Couturier comps. Like, that, that was his wheelhouse. And then mm-hmm. he goes off and scores at a 50-goal pace and adds, what, maybe 350K to the hurdle comp? Like, that's a market value contract. It's, you know, some things just cost what they cost. Like, some things are expensive in life, and they just cost what they cost. I mean, look at the Vancouver real estate market. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, wow, that's single-family de- detached. That's um, it's a fair bit. Yeah, it's a single-family detached in Vancouver. Like, this is a face-off ace center who's 28 and is on pace for 50 goals. Like, it just costs what it costs. Right. And, yeah, it is prohibitive. So I, I didn't feel like the – 8.5 times 8 was the sort of deal that Horvat and his camp needed to take because they weren't going to get that on the open market. They were probably going to get that on the open market. I think that was more or less assured. I don't even think there would have been a limited number of bidders. Right. Um, I, you know, I don't think this contract was out, outside the range of what you'd expect, frankly, given Horvat's production and age and, and position and uh, the the sort of market forces underpinning it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think this was a matter of Horvat being comfortable with the situation um, and, and him getting a deal that they viewed as fair. And, and so good for him, you know, it's, but, but the sticker shock in the Vancouver market was a little bit precious. I'm going to be honest with you boys. Like <laughs> I knew you were going here. 
Well, no, it's just like it, it's a market value deal. Like I don't know what what do you expect? What do you? He should have taken less. Cost? He never wanted to be here, Drance. He should have taken less money. This proves it. Oh, I know, and and the and the like and the like. This guy spent his prime years playing on a line with a twelve million dollar Antoine Roussel <laughs> and a twelve million dollar Sven Berchi. But when it was to get paid, you know, he didn't care about winning for not being willing to take less. It's like, come on, what are you talking about? You have to anyway. Whatever the uh, the Horvat thing, market value deal. Where where I'm curious to see what I'm curious to see is does this impact? Like, are we going to live in a world? on July 15th where, you know, Dylan Larkin's a nine and a half million dollar player and Pierre-Luc Dubois matches Horvath's 8.5 and Trevor Zegras maybe beats nine million. And if we're living in that world on July 15th, what do Pat Brisson and JP Barry who represent Elias Pettersson think about it? That, that to me is the big question here. Well, you know, if he's greedy, He'll want a lot of money, but if he really <laughs> wants the Canucks to have success, he'll, he'll yeah. take a below market deal. Well, the, the, that Brad Marchand quote right before the uh, All-Star break, right, about guys taking less to win, and it's like, for sure, like you can't win in the hard cap era if you can't convince guys to sign with you for below market, like period, mm-hmm. period. It's like the most vital thing, yep. and in a lot of ways, this market's running uphill anyway. Because high cost of living, right? Um, you know, relatively high taxes, on and on. Like there are, there are, you know, things that are that put Vancouver at a relative disadvantage. But also, you know, Edmonton got team friendly deals out of Ryan Nugent Hopkins and Evander Kane, and if Edmonton can do it, that's all the proof you ever need that it's not just about location and taxes, right? Like there's a lot that goes into it. Uh, one of which is a chance to win. And, and here's the other thing. You have to teach players that it's in their best interest to leave money on the table. Like, you have to, you can't be overpaying a bunch of guys and losing a bunch. And then, you know, the, I mean, this one thing that this sort of whole episode, particularly given that the club tri- tried to get Horvat under contract, um, you know, and, and probably didn't get close to making what Horvat's camp considered a, a fair offer. Uh, but certainly they could have got this done at less than eight times 8.5 in, in the month of August. Not as much less as they'd have liked, but very, very much they could have gotten this done at a, at a more team-friendly clip um, prior to the season beginning. Um, but, but ultimately they weren't able to convince Horvat to, to take less. And, you know, that I do think pose, poses some really serious questions for this organization because how do you win? How do you win if you can't get guys to leave money on the table? Uh, and how can you win if you can't get this guy? Like this guy who's been here for nine years and is 10th in franchise scoring and wears the C and has, you know, 18 million commercials and a ton of spawn con on his IG to do it, right? I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a big existential quandary, I think, for this club and, and how they sort of consider their options moving forward. This is the best of Halford and Bruff. Download the full show through Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.